What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Dr. Diamond Doug. Triple D. And with me tonight is my bestie and the PB to my J, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac. And you're the P to my BJ too, good buddy. Thank you. Quick reminder, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook page at Adventures in Videoland. We are critics with attitude. In many of the AV podcasts, you'll hear some bad language. Ooh, an F-bomb. Yeah, perhaps. That's not really our style. Not really. So we'll try to keep this, what do you say? PG-13? Yeah. Maybe a diggity darn. Yeah, and, and some artful nudity. Oh. Yeah. Uh, also, spoiler alert, if you don't want tonight's movies ruined, pause the episode, watch the movies we're chatting about, and come back later. With that said, we'll be doing something a little different tonight. Mm. We'll be talking about some movies that didn't make the Pantheon cut. Pantheon Rejects, if you will. Yeah. For our inaugural episode of Pantheon Rejects, we thought we'd start with the first rejected film from Pantheon, or at least the the first one that I found on the list on the website, The Breakfast Club. And then I figured we'd pick one more film whose rejection made some say WTF. Why the frown? Silence of the Lambs. Sorry. The Silence of the Lambs. The. The Silence of the Lambs. The Breakfast Club and The Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. Before we get to any of that, let's chat just briefly about Pantheon. Mr. Miggity Biggity Mac, what is Pantheon? Well, on Adventures in Videoland, anyway, Pantheon is a movie that hits on all cylinders. A movie that is well-directed, well-crafted, well-written, well-acted, cast well. It has special effects. They stand the test the test. They stand the test of time, uh, unlike my language today. And they really kind of give you the feels. They yeah. really draw you in. And and uh, the language some use for it is essential viewing. Essential viewing. Um, yeah. Um, so we have... The best of its genre. That even. is right. And Pantheon it refers to being in the house of the gods. The house so of the, the uh, gods. So at the top of the hill. So that's that's the movies they're looking at. And the, the a council votes on this. There's a council of nine. Nine. Plus a guest voter. Plus the Facebook poll. Hold on. Carry the one. Yeah. It's, it's 11. There's 11. 11. 11 and, votes. And they need two-thirds majority of the 11. Now the Facebook poll... Is 7 of 11. 7 of 11. The Facebook poll is literally anyone in the open Adventures in Video Land Facebook group gets to vote in the poll and the the, the winning vote, yes, no, in the poll counts as one of the 11. It allows the members yeah. of the Facebook group to have at least some say in what's happening. And uh, and every once in a while, there's a one vote swing every now to and move then, something in. Which means the Facebook poll is what might have pushed you right that in. That is correct. So we looked at a couple of Pantheon movies over... Uh, this past year. This past this year, yeah. And uh, since we're just doing the rejects, let's chat about the ones that were rejected this year that we chatted about. So this year, we actually opened the season with two movies that were rejected. We started with Dear Zachary, which is uh, the first documentary, I believe, that, that was nominated yep. for Pantheon. And it was rejected soundly. Uh, Boogie Nights, which was, in my mind, the first WTF moment of the, of the season, because I thought for sure it would get in. It almost made it. Uh, Miami Connection. You know what? I, I, I forgot to mark down. Pink Floyd The Wall also oh, did not make it. my gosh, so, you're right. Pink Floyd The Wall did not make it. And then 
Miami Connection. Interestingly enough, Miami Connection came just as close to making it as Boogie Nights did. That's right. Uh, also, Cabaret, which was... what? How did you refer to Cabaret again? Uh, that is The Sound of Music Slutty Cousin. Right. The Sound of Music Slutty Cousin did not make it. A Clockwork Orange did not make it. I actually thought at first that it was going to. And the more we looked at it, the more I think I saw where the issues were. Uh, and maybe the reason why it didn't make it. And, and then, finally... yeah. That was, and it was this. The last movie was uh, recommended by two charming, smart individuals, and well educated, you uh, know. thoroughly exposed to the movie going experience, yeah, eloquent. Oh, and and they handsome. They smell great. They smell good. Like they're the kind of guys who could pull off wearing CK one, the unisex smell, and. And a, uh, a ascot. an ascot yeah. at the same time. By That's the way, right. I wore an ascot to my wife's senior prom. Why wouldn't you? Anyway, anyway. Uh, un- unrelated to, to all Full of Full disclosure, that. yeah. that's us. We nominated yeah, the that last was one. Uh, that, that movie, which, which what was that? Uh, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, and it was also a Pantheon reject. It's all right. It was, it was our nomination. We made a good attempt at getting Robin Williams into Pantheon. And we thought this was the best bet. But it didn't work out. So... We're going to talk about all kinds of Pantheon rejects. Today, we're talking about ones from the past, from previous seasons, Yeah, as you said. Before we showed up, so we're, we're, we're just going over the old files right yeah, now. Yeah, we've um, opened the big rusty steel drawer over here. So, just as a little bit of foreplay, Mr. Miggity Miggity. Yes. Um, so, I have a question for you. Yes. Um... The two the two movies we're looking at silent the Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. and the Breakfast Club yes um, so both of those movies are movies that if you threw just throw the names out most people have heard of those names they've heard of them and, the, and the, many people have seen them people and, have a distinct yeah. feeling about them yes or no right off the bat so so my question is is uh, as you re- recollect for yourself of movies that you saw a while back, you know, like a, a while ago. What are, are there any movies that you watched a long time ago and then and had really fond feelings about mm-hmm. and then have watched again and you're like oh Lord. Hmm, that just yeah, did, yeah. that did two. Yeah. Two. Uh Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, which I think was a late 80s early 90s movie. Number 1 and The Beastmaster. I was also going to say the Beast Definitely an 80s movie. Yeah. Both of these are movies that I convinced, I hard sold someone to go with me to the theater to watch them when they came out. I love them. I have great memories of them. I saw them on VHS when the VHS tapes came out. I still remember liking them. But I saw them within the last, let's say, two years. They're both horrible. Just terrible, terrible movies. Not shot well. Not written well. Uh, I mean, the Greystoke, the Legend of Tarzan, you could argue, is this, you know, big, long, sweeping drama with the jungle and the apes and the, you know, all this stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, true. But I probably was more connected to it because of my, my childhood connection with Tarzan itself. Yeah. Uh, and the Tarzan story. And then Beastmaster, I have no idea why I thought that was such a great movie. I, I recall that movie as being just... Amazing. Amazing. Like it blew my mind. And I was I was gonna say one of my movies that I was gonna say too, The Beastmaster. Beastmaster. Um uh and along that line and and I might get some guff from it from this, but um The Highlander. 
Oh, you know, that was the, that was, you know, honestly, that probably was probably three or four on my list. I thought about saying it when you asked me. Yeah, I like, I like, like, I, I still like the Highlander, but, but. I go back and I go that movie now. Like, wow, he did not know how to speak English no. well. And, uh, and, and, and like some, some of the shots and the oh, logic. Well, hold and, on, the yeah. Spanish, uh, <laughs> the Spanish sword fighter played by. Yeah, you've got, you've got Sean Curry, who's speaking with a Scottish bro. A heavy Scottish bro. Yeah. And then you've got the other guy who's supposed to be. Uh, he's supposed to be Scottish. Scottish. Yeah. And he's speaking with a French accent. Yeah, he's French. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> all right. So, oh. all right. And and, uh, and fair warning as we're going through that uh, Mr. Miggity Mac has a little little bit of a uh, creeping crud cough. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pop some fluids yeah. to kind of keep. So <coughs> if there's a if there's oh. some fluids or if there's a cough, just forgive us as we go through. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, let's let's dive into the movies. I uh, so I wanted to talk about the Breakfast Club first, sure, and then we'll go into the Silence of the Lambs. As one would, as one would. So uh, some movie facts just to walk down. Uh, so the Breakfast Club, rated R, uh, comedy drama genre, directed by John Hughes, screenplay by John Hughes, mm. produced by uh, Ned Tannen and John, John Hughes. Hughes. Mm-hmm. Musical score by Keith Forsey and Gary Chang. Cinematography by Thomas Del Ruth, uh, who later got an Emmy for West Wing, and he was the director of photography for the 1987 Running Man. Mm. Fun fact. That's uh, a movie that I thought I would go back and not like, but I like it every time. I do too. Just, yeah. Uh, edited by Dee Dee Allen in theaters on February 25, 1980, uh, 1985, with a runtime, a tight... 97 minutes. Tweet! Tweet! Studio uh, Universal Studios put that one out, and mm-hmm. I was able to rent that from the family video for 50 cents, and I got... I paid $1.99 yeah. and didn't have to drive anywhere. No, I, I drove, and I don't have to bring it back till Friday, right. so it's yeah. good. Um, so, uh, I found a synopsis of this movie, and could you read that synopsis it, for me? It sounds familiar, yeah. but I'll just go ahead and do it. Uh, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was that we did wrong. What we did was wrong, but we think you're crazy to make us write this essay telling you who we think we are. What do you care? You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms and and the the most most convenient convenient definitions. definitions. You see us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Correct? That's the way we saw each other at 7 o'clock this morning, The Breakfast Club. Yep, there's two versions of that, one at the beginning and one, one at, at the, the end. end. This is the one in the beginning. Yeah, at the end it's a little different. Yep, yeah, because they've discovered who they are. Yes. And like, they've come to a conclusion. All right, so uh, let's run through some ratings. Uh, can, can you run me down some of the ratings yeah. that we have there? IMDb rates at 7.9 out of 10. Metacritic, 62%, 7 positive, 3 mixed, and 1 negative. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 89% fresh, 92% audience. Uh, Google, 94% liked it. Yes. So now some of those, uh, like the audience numbers and the, the Google 94%, those are... People like the members in Adventures of Video Land that say, yeah, I, I like that yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, they're not critics who reviewed it or, or wrote about it or anything like that. That's not to say that their votes 
are less than. Yeah. They're it, just not a critical review. Yeah, and Rotten Tomatoes is 89% fresh, which means that 89% of the reviews are positive rather yes. than negative. Yes. Not, not casting how good the movie is. Right, right. The IMDb is a more uh, centered uh, number in terms of like a scale. Of where it puts it on a scale. Right. Uh, the Metacritic is a an amalgam of, of votes. Kind of everything. Yeah. So uh, Roger Ebert uh, gave this three uh, out of four stars. That sounds familiar. There's another same, movie recently that got same something... as Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yes. oh, well then that's probably um, why they're both rejected. Thanks, so, Kyle. So, uh, so he he says. Uh, Roger Ebert, at least the, this is the, and I'm not sure if this is Roger Ebert or one of the staff writers. One of the staff, yeah. Uh, nothing that happens in the Breakfast Club is all that surprising. The truths that are exchanged are more or less predictable, and the kids have fairly standard hang-ups, but the Breakfast Club doesn't need earth-shaking revelations. It's about kids who grow willing to talk to one another, and is, and it has a surprisingly good ear for the way they speak. The only weakness, in his estimation... In Hugh's writing, are the adult characters? Yeah, I think that pretty much carries through most of Hugh's movies. Yeah. I'm just it, just as a casual observer I for the say. teen movies, the teen movies, yeah, the teen movies, not the later ones. You know, uh, where he talk- has a good ear for John Candy's voice. Yeah, that's true. Admittedly, though, I don't know how much of that was John Candy and how much uh, interpreting what John Hughes wrote. But I'm also not taking anything away from John Hughes. He wrote the movies, so. So the next, uh, so these are from some uh, reviews that I found on Rotten Tomato here. The first one is from Josh Larson, who I went to school with. Really, both high school and uh, and college. We oh. weren't weren't necessarily friends. We didn't run in the same circles. He was right. always a smart guy, and he got into writing film reviews. Fantastic. Um, so Larson on film is where you can find him, and and he does he he does good reviews. Uh, that he gave this a fresh, the movie's so earnest, awkward, and exasperated by adulthood that it doesn't just remember or understand what it's like to be a teenager. Uh, the Breakfast Club embodies the experience. So, you know, uh, Dwayne uh, Burge from The Hollywood Reporter, he actually gave it uh, the opposite rating. Uh, while meticulously drawn, the film's characters are so stereotypically representative that only the lamest of moviegoers will not determine their respective backgrounds and problems long before the plotting movie does. Now, not to argue his point of view, but they're supposed to be caricatures. Yep. yep. At least I always got that from the movie. They're supposed to be caricatures, but he's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but there's, but if, if they weren't written that way, uh, they'd be missing the point of the movie. Sure. Uh, so, and then I grabbed a couple from Metacritic, the high, a high and a low one. There. Here. The, the high one. Uh, Brad Laidman, film threat, attributed score of about 80 on there. He said, this could have been an unmitigated disaster, but Hugh's way of m- with the material ensured it has a special place in the heart of just about everyone who happened to be in high school while Ronald Reagan was in president. And that is... Me! You, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac, and one year for me. Actually, and college. But hey, no, whatever. actually, no. He he was out. He was out. So I'm eighty nine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I missed it by a year. Uh, but high school and college for me both. Yeah. So the negative one, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac. Uh, a variety staff member not credited, also known as anonymous, which yeah. is uh, you know the current way that when you write negative stuff, you just anonymous. 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 Does director John Hughes really believe, as he writes here, that, quote, when you grow up, your heart dies? It may, but not unless the brain has already started to rot. 
with films like this. Our friend Brad would completely agree with that yeah, particular This, this is a sassy, pass, a sassy pants uh, review. The truth, though, as you say, may lie in the middle, because I believe that there's a review that kind of yeah. hits the center TV line. Guide magazine staff not credited. Amominous. Another Amominous. Uh, so, with an attributed score, about 60 here. Mm-hmm. says, Hughes, though he gives the material a sense of fun and achieves several moments of genuine warmth, too often resorts to obvious cliches, stereotypes, and easy answers, and throws in the near-obligatory rock video as well. Uh, it was the 80s, rock. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> All right. So, but more fun, more fun than the uh, full-on uh, uh, reviews, the professional reviews. We've got yeah. the Metacritic Hoi Polloi yeah. review, the Joe Six Pack, the reviews. Joe Six Pack, the <laughs> Janet Boxwine review, the Janet Boxwine <laughs> and Joe Six Pack. Eight point eight out of ten for most of those reviews. Three hundred and nine positive, seventeen mixed, only four negative in mm. there. Once yeah. uh, weird. Why don't you read me the top one? Uh, Ten. Cameron Morewood. One of the most honest movies ever made. The Breakfast Club ranks with flawless social dramas such as American Beauty? Yeah, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, question mark added yeah. for my intent there. No, I picked this one because it was super fun because uh, <laughs> apparently Dark Beast 119 as we all know him the <laughs> is 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 really uh, like I I'm I will call him the Edge Lord cuz uh, as we all do. Uh, he gave this a 0. Ooh. And uh, and and um, I'm reading this in only what I think his voice would have to sound like. Okay, which is the Breakfast Club is a film for melodramatic teenagers and impudent a-hole critics with absolutely no idea of what it's like to be a teenager. The Breakfast Club is possibly the worst teenage film ever. John Hughes, John Hughes, worst film of all time, and one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my young life. In other words, it is a mutant abomination bred by poor directing and crude humor and a true disgrace to the cinema itself. Dark Beast 113, have you seen 16 not, no, Candles? Not, not, not Dark Beast 113. Oh, I'm sorry. One, dang, Dark Beast 119. Oh, 119. No, Dark Beast 113 is sweet as That's pie. That's a girl. Yeah, she's yeah, a girl. Yeah, she so, is sweet I as pie. I am sorry, Dark Beast yeah. 113. So, And I, I plucked one more review from Hold on, here. who is this from? Oh, oh just, just look on the sheet. Who does what? it say? <gasps> Spangle! Yeah, go ahead and read that. Oh, Spangle. This is a great look at high school life. As with real life, everybody has a story and inner demons, whether they show them frequently or not. I really like the discussions at the end. While this film is a very accurate representation of high school and all of its oddities, it is also very funny. Overall, this is a very good film, and I feel ashamed for just watching it now. That's right. Spangle? Spangle. I owe you a beer, bro. Spangle. If he's old enough to drink it. I hope so. Now, some people have asked, like, who is Spangle? Well, I've had people ask me that on the street. They stop me and they go, wait. Who is Spangle? Are you Miggity Miggity Mac? Yeah. Who is Spangle? More importantly, who is Spangle? Who is Spangle? Spangle is just so. Spangle is, as we've been doing this over the last year, and I've been grabbing, uh, Hoi polloi, you know, the user reviews from Metacritic. 
that I, I, we, we ran across Spangle like one week in a row, and then I, then I started searching him out. I started searching him out, and I realized that Spangle has pretty much, like, I find him everywhere. He's a critic on, uh, like, he has reviewed more movies than, than, like, like, we haven't found one that he's not on yet. No. So, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's Spangle, (laughs) male or female, we're assuming male, we don't know. Uh, is 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 a is a is a is a multiple time contributor to yeah. the Pantheon Companion series. So oh, it's good uh, stuff. So uh, alrighty, cheers, thank you, Spangle. Che- cheers to you, Spangle. There we go. Um, so let's look at the receipts. Uh, so we can do our BSI, our butts and seats index. Mm-hmm. Uh, Breakfast Club, nineteen eighty five, production vu- budget of a, about a million dollars. Thank God for John Hughes making movies for not mm-hmm. a lot of bucks. Box office uh, domestic gross was forty five point nine million. So it made a just just alone. Uh, it made about $45 million domestically. Ooh, yeah. It didn't make a lot overseas foreign with 5.6, but it's not It's not it's, a non... It, it's a year... It's an uh, Amerocentric film. Yeah, that's that's the good term. Yeah. Um, so for the Butts and Seats Index, with a 1985 ticket price of $3.55, that's from... Uh, uh, a list from Box Office Mojo that mm-hmm. I grabbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you do the math, that it has butts and seat index for domestic gross of twelve point nine million people saw it in the theater. Yeah, I would say at least three of those were my butts in the yeah. seat. So so it's got a twelve point nine million uh, mm-hmm. for for BSI. Comparison, I figured one would be Sixteen Candles. Once also you read John through, Hughes, read and, through that. So uh, Sixteen Candles, nineteen eighty four. Budget six point five million. I think that was for all the special effects. I don't know. Uh, domestic gross twenty three point six million. Still profited. Average ticket price three point three three dollars and thirty six cents. So a butts and seats index of seven million. Yeah. So not, not huge. No, but the Breakfast Club certainly brought in uh, well pushing double, not quite double. If, if I recall, and like I might be wrong on this, but Fight Club had like a five to six million BSI. Yeah. yeah. So Fight Club did much better on video. That's than right. At the theater. <clears throat> so uh, compared to let's do Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was 1986, another John Hughes film, budget of 5.8 million. Grossed seventy million, so it made sixty-five million. Give or take. I remember Ferris Bueller being marketed a lot heavier than the other two movies. So, and, and that might have gone into the budget on mm. there. Average ticket price in nineteen eighty-six of three dollars and seventy-one cents. So it had a BSI of eighteen point nine million. Uh, Breakfast Club was twelve point nine. This yeah, has six he, million more he people. Bumped, he bumped about six million uh, seats with each progressive movie. Yep. Seven, almost 13 and almost 19. Yeah. Um, so then I was trying to think, okay, what's another film? Not John Hughes. High schoolers, like comedy, maybe a little bit crass on the edges kind of a deal. So American pie. That's a good one. 1999. He has sex with an apple pie in that movie. Budget of $11 million. Domestic gross of uh, 102.6 million, so it made about 90 million dollars. Foreign 140 million, so way it was all way a lot. But we're just looking at domestic gross. Mm-hmm. Average ticket price in 1999 of five dollars and eight cents, which gives us a BSI of about 20.2 million. Yeah. Uh, just like a little bit more than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right. Right. So it, they're in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, a little, a little less them. than half 
uh, more than uh, the Breakfast Club. Yeah. Uh, so those are those are some numbers right there. Um, as far as this film goes, The Breakfast Club, uh, and you are a child of the '80s. You were in high school. Uh, yeah, gradu- around that same yep. time, I graduated in the '80s. Graduated both high school and college in the '80s, and so yeah, this was you know sort of right up, right up my uh, my young alley. Sure. Yeah. So as far as this film is concerned, um, with a pan- as far as a Pantheon nomination, how would you say that this is unique? First, uh, first, yeah, how, how would you say unique. this is is a is unique as a was unique as a Pantheon? Nomination. So it was an early Pantheon nomination, of course. But, you know, the movies that make Pantheon, not all, many of them are these major classic, well-made, uh, stood-the-test-of-time type movies that have been, you know, they've been around a long time, and, and they're like the Godfather, you know, yeah. those movies. And they're just almost, almost wholly accepted as good movies, right? Yep. And this was... Not necessarily accepted that way. It was aimed at a very specific audience at a very specific target market, uh, a young target market. Now those people are now, like I said, my age. You're you're to my age now. Yep. We're we're in the we're on the edges of the window, I suppose. Yep. But the but the point is, is that as a Pantheon nomination, this is one of those that I would suspect was nominated because it would be like a gut reaction. Whoever nominated it liked it. They thought, well, everybody likes this movie, so it's going to make Pantheon. I. I wonder if this was more uh, a unique Pantheon nomination because of maybe the definition of what should be a Pantheon-worthy movie had it yeah. quite been nailed down. And, and, and uh, fair, you know, fair warning—not fair warning, but just cards on the table—is yeah. that we went to go find the original nomination and didn't get couldn't, couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. We asked Brad about it, and uh, it didn't pop up. I think that this was Brian Steele, maybe. I thought. It- was or, it Brian or Kyle? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, I do care. So what about uh, challenges of this movie as a nomination? Yeah, the problem, it's a, because, it's at, because it's aimed at such a narrow market, when you read people's uh, reactions to it, you know, uh, even on Facebook today, the day we recorded this podcast, the, 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 the reactions were polar. There were very few in the middle. They were they were completely on the edge. Either it was people who were like, I don't relate to this movie. I didn't go to that kind of high school. I don't know. I didn't know any of those people like that. Or they were. This reflects exactly what I remember high school to be like, at least in my memory. And so people are latching on to it or rejecting it yeah. for completely interpersonal reasons. Yeah. I didn't hear a lot of discussions of cinematography score. Yeah, it was casting. a lot about how you identify with it. And, and along that line, I mean, just like, again, cards on the table mm-hmm. about this movie. It's white. It's a white, 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 it white, is. white, white movie. And John Hughes was making movies about this imaginary town. Shermer. Shermer, which is a Illinois. Chicago suburb. Yeah. And North, it, it's, it, it, it's northern He grew suburb. up in Northbrook, Illinois, yeah. which is on the northern side. So, yeah. you know, it, it would, it would. I hate to say it this way, but it would obviously be that yeah. kind of a school because it was the kind of neighborhoods in the town. You know, if you look at Ferris, Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller shows more kids in the school yeah. than this does. This shows just these kids. Yeah. You don't see any other kids. Well, and, 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 and. Well, beyond the fact of, and, and, uh, and this is not talking about um, 
forced representation or anything like that. No, no, no. In terms of a concept, but it because it is a narrow swath, yeah. like it's a narrow cut. Yeah. That the market that people will who will identify with it, it's like these are white people problems. Even even if no, I'm, I'm no, like no, even if it's not necessarily not the case, it's like. These are the problems that are associated with this right. swath Not of, of only associated with them, but 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 specifically yeah. associated with them. Not solely white people. Talk. So at least on the surface, that it's got it's got a level of um, like it's got a thick skin where you'd have to get through it in order to identify with it mm-hmm. because just on the surface if you're not represented in that movie or the problems that you have are represented in the movie or like even with Brad when he talks about the movie I didn't go to a school like that because I went to a very small right, private right. school private school exactly yeah so people now, I yeah. went to a very small school there were t- less than 25 kids in my graduating class my wife was the class behind me there were 23 in hers and uh, even so I completely associated with this movie because I saw kids from my school in this movie, even though I went to a very small school. Yeah. Brad's school was smaller, let's be honest. But even so, uh, you know, as a ratio, not that much smaller. How many kids were in your graduating class? A hundred, give or take. So like West Lafayette High School, I think the graduating classes have around 200 or so. And that's considered a relatively small school. Yeah. But a lot of schools around, you know, around here, especially with the consolidated districts in Indiana and and in a, in a lot of other states, a graduating class could have uh, 1,100 kids. Yeah. And I had, like, so I grew up in the south suburbs of mm-hmm. Chicago, and there was classes with thousands. Right. right? Yeah. Um, so, in terms of uh, what makes this movie special, though, like, in terms of uh, the things that it shoots for and does well. Right. Um, that, like The Silence of the Lambs that we'll chat about a little bit later, is... It leans on the psychological side. Like, it messes with your head. It does. The Breakfast Club, it's not messing with your head, but it's it's poking around in your head. Specifically, the adolescent experience, which is the vehicle. Adolescence is the vehicle. But even as a, an older person, when you're experiencing what, what is known as, like, psychological crises... Like, mm-hmm. we use the term midlife crisis mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Is that anybody who's on that transition period that you can identify with this co- concept of cha- a changing nature of who you are and how you relate to to yourself, the people above you, and the people in, soci- in society with you? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. Well, high schoolers specifically, uh, I, I still struggle with this, and I'm clearly not a high schooler, but... High schoolers specifically deal with a lot of different topics, but some of the real common themes are feeling like they feeling like they belong to a group of some sort, or feeling like they don't belong in the group that they are clearly in. Uh, they 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 feel like their problems are their own unique problems. No one else has the same problems. They feel like people don't understand their problems. Yeah, and for yeah. those specific topics, the Breakfast Club addresses many others, but those specific ones. Right, right towards the front, where these big caricatures are th- are drawn out, like the the one reviewer said, the caricatures yeah. right in your face, and then you're supposed to think that that's the whole channel that character sits in, and then as the movie goes on, you realize that the things they hold in common far outweigh the things that they are the things the way they're different, yeah. and that and that they actually 
belong in a group together, not because they're there on detention, but because they hold this sort of common thread between them. Uh, there even ends up being love interests, at yeah. least hookup interests, but love interests between them that you wouldn't have expected. And, um, uh, and, and they actually put together, oh, they lean on one to write the, to write the essay. They, they lean on one to provide the pot. They lean, well, yeah. does something, right? Or, or like, uh, yesterday I had posted on my own Facebook page mm-hmm. about that, um, because I've got one kid in college, one kid who's a senior, one kid who's a freshman, and I'm in this phase now where my kids are one by one, like, in like 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 they're they're just kind of like dominoes falling out of my life right where and then i i, I posted about that on, yeah. on social media and a whole bunch of people my age mm-hmm. who are from all different walks of life said oh yeah, yeah. no i get it i yeah. get it like so in and i'm not necessarily very much like a lot of the people who commented and yet and yet we have that connection. Yep. Which is kind of like what's going on here where, like, they're not all like each other, but they are. They are very much alike. So I, I found an article, like, I was looking up, like, academic articles on this, and I found one where it was a therapeutic, psychi- like, it was a psychiatry article that was talking about uh, the concept of, uh, the concept of how to teach and talk about psychological issues mm-hmm. using this movie because, like you, what you were saying, it you were just listing off the things, right, right, like right. like things, crafted identity, how to feeling alone while you're in a group about right. like how how do we deal with trust and how do we deal with issues of how the people who nurtured us and what if they didn't do a good job, right? Uh, how do we take risks? How do we become an individual again? Well, individuals when you have like a helicopter parent that's yeah. driving you in one direction. Um, like driving a herd of cattle. Like, how do you deal with despair? How do you deal with future concerns? How do you deal about being who you are in different contexts? Like, all of those things are, are very interesting psychological, developmental concepts to to, to mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the movie touches on those. And I think that's one of the reasons that this becomes an enduring movie is because it starts these conversations, which aren't limited to 1984. Right. It's it is linked to the age or yeah. to a psychological crisis, a crisis of some sort. Um, so let's if if it's all right, we'll walk down some categories because right. we had mentioned like what is pantheon earlier, and we list you know acting, directing, and blah blah blah. Sure. So um, tell me, acting, what do you think? So I think that for the age of the actors and for what they're for what they were asked to do, I think that it was acted well, with the exception of. And I know people like the uh, the and gosh I can't remember his name now that played the the principal um, Vernon uh, that you know God rest his soul I can't remember that actor's name with the exception of his character I thought the other characters were acted very well yeah um, I thought that they played the roles they were asked to play you mess with the bull you get the horns <laughs> uh, I like Judd Nelson's character uh, I, I I never was Judd Nelson's character. But I felt like I should relate to him the most, um, and and of course in the end he gets he gets the prize he gets the princess so that's cool. Paul Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason. Yeah, that's yeah, the that's principal. The I always thought his I always thought his acting was was oh, fortunate over the top. But that's so just me. For me, on terms of acting, is that there's one standout in the film. 
Okay. Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall, yeah. That he nails the role top to bottom. I believe him every second he's on screen that he's an awkward teen. Because he was. Well, he really was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and But he, he really drove the home. He, he drove his role home. And, okay. and I thought he did a great job with it. And then I thought that, like, let's throw the adults out because the, uh, they, for, like, John Hughes was one of the adults. For yeah, he yeah. Was, he uh, drove what's drove in Brian's. Yeah, Bri- he drove in Brian. He drove in Anthony Michael Hall. So like, he was his dad? I didn't care for the adults because I thought they were one dimensional. Yeah. Um, even even uh, even, even Carl. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's because part of it, part of his story got cut out later. Yeah. Um, but for me, like, uh, there's a couple moments between Molly, like, like as as acting goes, Molly Ringwald. Uh, and I know people love him and he's iconic, but Judd Nelson. I like oh, his character. Come on, like I, I watched him. I'm like, dial it down, Sparky. That is like you're overacting. Here's the thing. The whole I knew thing. a kid in high school who was very, very close oh, to. Acted, I did too. Talked, behaved the same way with the same like crazy outbursts and would like climb up on something and then break something. Tearing pages out of a book nonchalantly. Exactly that. I would name this person, except he became the mayor of the town I went to <laughs> high school in. Yeah, you can't name So anybody who lives in my hometown, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Well, and I had a, and I had a kid who dressed like him, talked like uh, him, looked like him. However, Judd Nelson was that kid if they boiled him down to a distillate. Just, yeah, 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 a distillate. And like, yeah. Ali Sheedy's character, uh, I thought, had the most... Went through the most change. Not just because they put makeup on her and dressed her up. But she went from non-vocal, non-communicative, nothing, to having conversations and finally like being a human being by the end. So I thought that particular character had the most like metamorphosis during the movie. And and I would mention, um, as far as acting goes, that there were several times in there where the, the reactions that happened just seemed out of place but i don't think that that was as much of an acting issue as a directing i agree issue and and for me uh and this was the, one of the things where i watched this film and i'm very i have a i'm very fond of this film and i have great memories of it but with each time i watch it i like it a little bit less yeah I and um it, and i watched it with my kids this time uh what did it, they think and they were like oh there's some interesting concepts here. My son said, the pacing is really weird. It is, isn't it? Where it like and, and they almost wrote it like a play which has like acts yes. and then like they change the scenery and then acts and change the scenery, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I say the pacing is really kind of off and it's a lot more boring than I recall. Yeah. I don't know. Is that does that ring true with you or not? Uh, I see exactly what you mean, and uh, I think that when people watch it for the first time, even if somebody who's watching it for the first time now could have a much more positive feeling about the movie than someone who's watched it for, I mean, for me, I'll bet it's 25 or 30 yeah, times. Yeah, sure. Not uh, that I've sat and watched the whole thing 25 or 30 times. I've seen the majority of the movie, or, or at least some of the movie, probably that many times. I probably sat through the whole thing between 10 and 15 Any times. other thoughts on directing? Uh I mean, John Hughes directs the way John Hughes directs. I mean, he has found his way, and he's making money doing it. The studios could make money with his movies, and, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, 
it's it, it's it's a John Hughes movie. There was one choice in the movie, and even John Hughes didn't like it. What's that? The cracking of the window when Emilio Estevez screams, where they sh- the glass shatters for no reason. Yeah, it was it was a dumb choice. That. Yeah, it was a dumb choice. I was gonna say it was everything uh, else was realistic. Judd Nelson tearing te- Judd Nelson tearing pages out of the books. Yeah, which by the way is like fingernails on the chalkboard for me. For whatever reason, yeah. that. I'm not replacing, not reordering the Dewey Decimal card yeah, system. Okay, yeah. I think that's funny because it gives a library that used to give the librarian something to do. Yeah, <laughs> like ooh, these cards are out of order. Oh, yeah. yeah, we would shuffle them. Um, cinematography. The uh, the gym. So the library was a re- reclaimed gym at North Main High School. Okay, and they it wasn't an actual library, but they because the library was too small, so they 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 built the gym. And it's I think like multi level a, def, a, a now defunct football team was using that ah. as their workout space and had to be outside in the cold and didn't really like that. The okay. the building is now current, and it was also used in Ferris Bueller's. Yeah, same building. Uh, that is now currently a uh, a police station in Northbrook. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and you can you can go up to the front steps that are used in the it's movie. A, it's the same yeah. steps that Ferris Bueller picks up his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Driving yeah. the uh, driving the fancy car. Um, so. Uh, I liked the look of the library. It was like, wow, this is a pretty elaborate library for a public high school. I think that library was reused in another movie. Yeah, maybe. A horror movie, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or something like it. I I believe it was. It looked uh, exactly the same. But for me, most of the shots were... It it didn't rest on cinematography because it was a fishbowl episode. Well, that's the other thing. You mentioned it was almost almost put together like a play with acts and stuff. The camera angles, it felt like they had three camera angles for this kind of, for this section, and this segment, and they had three camera angles for this segment. They had the reverse camera angles when they were in the back smoking yeah. hot and talking, but the camera angle was over their heads and then down over the lower seated area towards the doors. And they had the camera angles up on the up on the balcony yeah. where they yeah, did yeah. the uh, Footloose. Uh, it's the exact same dance from Footloose. And it would make sense that they would have these kind of like area-wide or segment-wide camera angles that are fixed that change throughout the film because it was filmed in order. The okay. the, the movie was shot in, order. shot in order. So, like, they would set it up with three camera angles yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The scenes running down the hallways uh, are reminiscent of, <laughs> now that I think about it, it's kind of funny, the West Wing, because they're either walking down the hallway and making turns, which you just mentioned that the cinematographer, yeah. I think, is a yeah. West, West Wing... The uh, walk and talk. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. But of course, they were also the, the running... The, we'll call them chase scenes. They weren't a chase scene, but the running season scenes yeah. down the empty hallways. That's that, I always thought those were kind of cool. Uh, those, in my mind, were the Scooby-Doo scenes. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I because like you have a shot of down the hallway and they run then past they run, the T. They either run past the T or you're seeing them run down the hallway and then skip, 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 yeah. and nine degree turn to the left. Yeah. Um, right. What do you think about the score? I love the music in that movie. I had the album for years uh, on cassette and then later on, on uh, CD. Uh, I'm sure it's somewhere in my mix of MP3s. I, I will say this. Uh, the score, I thought I would like more than I did. Oh, yeah? Because I was over, like, my mind was overwhelmed with the concept of two songs. Okay, which ones? Don't You Forget About Me. Sure. 
by Simple Minds, yeah, only yeah. hit, written That's by the... Only at the end of the movie. Written in the, in the beginning and the end. Okay, fine, beginning and end. And then the scene right. where Ali Sheedy walks when out. They're reading the, when they're reading the the, 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 ter- the essay. Yeah. That's right. And the the scene when Ali Sheedy comes out with the makeup and it's yeah. like... Bah, bah, right, right. Bah. The, the, the rest of it... There's a ton of straight up just like 80s regulars. Yeah. Like we, I would have heard on the radio there's daily. There's a couple other songs those daily that show players. up. But um, but they're just underwhelming, and yeah. then the the musical score that goes with it, I, I can't a, remember. It's an original score. It's a, yeah, a, a, a yeah. Now, it, it's it's almost like they wrote a bunch of music that hinted at other '80s songs, but they weren't. Yeah, so like for me, the the score it was like it's got two really two really high notes, and like I know that there's the dance scene that has a, has the music, but I don't really care for the dance scene. In there, as I mentioned, the dance scene up on the balcony, uh, the one with just Emilio Estevez, is almost step by step, move for move, the same as uh, Kevin Bacon's Footloose <laughs> solo dance in the Grain Barn. They That's are stuff. almost exactly the same. I'm pretty sure that I don't remember which was made first, but one is an homage to the other for sure. Yeah. What about the screenplay? The, uh, the 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 dialogue the yeah, screenplay I mean we we kind of talked about it already but um, I don't I don't feel like that stands out uh, you know uh, I do like the characters and the way they're put together but like you said Judd Nelson's character is is way over the top Ali Sheedy's character and um, um, which one Emilio Estevez no Anthony Michael Hall <laughs> Molly Ringwald Molly Ali Sheedy Molly Ringwald <laughs> Ali Sheedy's characters just say exactly what you would yeah. expect them to say and yeah and the the one scene that really kind of like hit a nerve where they're all talking about their personal experiences mm. after they smoked pot and everything yeah. where they're sitting up uh was was ad-libbed yeah oh yeah right um the uh not not that that takes away from anything but it was just kind of like that's that, not screenplay that, that that's i mean it's dialogue but yeah yeah um there's no really special effects uh, to speak of in this film. No, not that I could think. Nothing of. special. There was one gag that I really liked. Where the door, the door kicking the chair out. Yeah. Where he's like, "It's not going to work," and then yeah. like the door, and then they put the other thing in the door. Right. That was fun. Yeah, like, I'm not sure that supports. A f- that, I'm not sure that's along with the fire code. What would yeah. the fire marshal yeah. think? Yeah. That, that, those were some fun gags. Yeah. Uh, in there. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as awards go, the, this movie didn't really win tons of awards. I think I, it shows up on like an AFI list yeah. of things that you should watch. Right. Um, but again, watching this movie, as far as, uh, like asking the question, the council voted no. And it was almost a split vote. I was going to say, one. they only had nine votes then. Yeah. It was 2016, way, way back. back in the, in the, in the, Origins of uh, Pantheon. It was 2016. There were only nine votes, and I, it was split five four. Yeah. Now they had to have six, six, seven. They still had to have seven. I think they had to have five. Five. You know, like two thirds. They have six. They needed. They needed. They needed, oh, needed six. They needed maybe? six. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they needed six. If there was a Facebook poll back then, that would have said yes, probably. But it was five four. It didn't make it. And uh, as I recall reading the responses, which you can still find on Adventures in Video Land on Facebook, the responses were almost polar. Hated it and loved it. 
Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I did not make it. It was rejected. Did they make a mistake? Yeah. Was it a mistake? Well, how about this? If you were on the council, how would you vote? Gary, in my 20... friend, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac. In 2016, I wouldn't have had the experiences I've had in, in what is and isn't Pantheon now. I would probably have voted yes. But today... If you were on the council in 2019... I would really feel bad if I said no, so... You'd feel bad if you said no, so you don't want to say no. Well, I, I, okay, let's put it this way. I, in my head, I have, like, probably four reasons to say yes and three reasons to say no, so I'd have to say yes. Well, I don't think that math checks out. Yeah, because four <laughs> is bigger than three. The uh, And for me, like... Uh, I would have thought if you, without having watched it, without having known anything about Pantheon rules or anything else, like without having rewatched it, re- without having rewatched it, without uh, that, if you were like, is Breakfast Club Pantheon? You're like, of course it is. It's essential. Here's the other piece: is it essential viewing? Is this something that if you're a movie buff, you should have watched this movie? And I think the answer is yes. The problem is, not enough people apparently think that, or at least not enough people on the council. Yeah. Um, it, it, for me, it's a, it's a, I, I'd say that the council got this right. Yeah. That, and I think that the council got this right, not just on voting no, but the council got it right on how close it was to no. Fair enough. And I go, I go the same way with boogie nights. Yeah. I can't argue that the council got boogie nights wrong. I understand why it came down, uh, six to six to five. I understand why they were that close. I get yeah. it. Um. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't agree with this. Like, my my no is not the same as other people's no. Where like Brad's I, no. I, I, read, I read some of their stuff. Brad's no like, is prefaced with the word hell. Yeah. Hell no. Yes. And and, and his is, is comes from a very personal experience of, like, I don't connect with this movie at all. Right. That, mine, is, mine is no just on, on terms of pacing, some levels of acting. Sure. Some choices that are made in there. Um that it, that it surprises me to say no, but I would say no on that. Yeah, and I think you and I are very close on this. We're just sitting on opposite sides of this very thin line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that is The Breakfast Club. And uh, so we're about 50 minutes in or so in, in into the chat. Uh, you want to do The Silence of the Lambs? We should talk about The Silence of the Lambs. All right, let's chat about the silence of the lambs. So there were some people who get eaten by a guy. <laughs> yeah. And there's an agent. All right, well, so there you have it. That's si- this, the silence of the lambs. That was one of the connections between the two movies here, is that they both start with the word the. <laughs> and people tend to drop the the. Yeah, You'll hear they do. silence of the lambs, and you'll hear breakfast club, but, but it is the. 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 Uh, synopsis. Why don't you walk us through the synopsis? Uh, and, and we are clearly switching to the, the silence, silence of, of the, the lambs. lambs. All right. <laughs> In the silence of the lambs, a young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman 
who skins his victims. Sure, and walk us down Ugh. the rating genre, etc. All right, The Silence of the Lambs had an IM has an IMDb rating of eight point six out of ten. Metacritic eighty five percent. No, no, go go way back to the top of the page. Ooh. Avert your eyes oh. to the top. Oh, I'm so sorry. Movie yeah. facts. There you go. Hey, movie facts. Uh, the Silence of the Lambs is rated R. It is a drama slash mystery. Some would say horror, but we'll we'll say drama mystery genre. Directed by Jonathan Dem, Demi Demi Jonathan Demi. Screenplay by Ted Talley. Based on a novel by Thomas Harris, which, by the way, I've read. Uh, produced by Kenneth Utt, Edward Saxon, and Ron Bozeman. Musical score by Howard Shore. I put in parentheses for also you because I could think you'd appreciate this. For the Lord of the Rings series and The Hobbit. And he's done so much. Like, if you go I mean, on his IMDb... Howie Shore. Everybody knows Howie Shore. His li- like, the list goes forever. <laughs> Is that Howie Shore? How, his friends call him Howie. Oh, I'm thinking of Polly. Uh, my bad. Yeah. Anyway, cinematography by Tak Fujimoto... Who did the Sixth Sense and a bunch of other stuff a lot of for other stuff. Uh, M Night Shyamalan? Edited by Craig McKay. It was in theaters February fourteenth, Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety one, as runtime was a uh, hundred hundred eighteen minutes, so a full two hour movie. Studio was Orion Pictures, and uh, you wouldn't caught you caught this one on Amazon Prime. That's right. Uh, one there was yeah. The, there's a there's an edited version that's free. Yeah. Um, yeah, and by the way, with Orion Pictures, is that they were banking on, they were hoping that this would make money because when they put this out, they were, <laughs> they, were uh, they were near bankrupt. Yeah, right off the edge, right. And uh, and they weren't sure whether or not they were going to continue as uh, as a studio. They put this out in February, mm-hmm. where normally if you want it to be an Oscar contender, you throw it up in December or whatever. So this is one of the longer, uh, like where if you're counting time between early in the year to December when the votes are finally cast, this movie is one of the longest content, longest stretches that did still end up winning, uh, Oscars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As I started to say, IMDb ratings, uh, got an 8.6 of 10. Metacritic, 85%, with 17 positive, two mixed and no negatives. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 96% fresh. Yep. Uh, Google, 91% of people liked it. And then, as far as uh, Roger Ebert review, that uh, he gives it four out of four stars. He says, uh, a fundamental difference between The Silence of the Lambs and its sequel, Hannibal, is that the former is frightening, involving, and disturbing, while the latter is merely disturbing. It is easy enough to construct a geek show if you start with a cannibal. The secret of silence is that it doesn't start with the cannibal. It arrives at him through the eyes and minds of a young woman. Hmm. So we have some Rotten Tomato reviews that I grabbed. One fresh, one rotten. Why don't you read the fresh? Sure. Jay Carr from the Boston Globe. Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. The Silence of the Lambs, uh, Mr. Thank you. It's like the Ohio State University. Oh, but they're only called that before we take it away. And by the way, back to uh, the Breakfast Club. 
that the athlete's car, his dad, his license plate is Ohio State. <laughs> uh, just a, as a connection right there. All righty. The Ohio the, State. The Silence of the Lambs has everything you want in a popular thriller. It's stylish, intelligent, audacious rather than shocking, and stolen by a suave monster, monster you'll never forget. Now, the other one that I grabbed from Rotten Tomatoes that I, that I came across was Gene Siskel, because Siskel and Ebert often go together, and I found it very interesting that Siskel and Ebert departed from each other. They used to argue this. quite regularly. Yeah. So on this particular film, they do. They also depart where Gene Siskel's review is labeled as rotten. Foster's character, who is appealing, is dwarfed by the monsters she is after. I'd rather see her work on another case. Wow. Two out of four stars. <laughs> A little harsh there, Mr. Siskel, sir. Uh, Metacritic reviews. Uh, Woo, you try that name. Uh, so, from a 100 from Susan Waschulina from USA Today. Uh, for the for the listener, there are two, vowels. There are two yeah. vowels in a word yeah. with five syllables there. So, Susan W. from USA Today says, uh, A movie with this kind of haunting power comes only along once every decade or so. Woo. Well, a 50 from... This was the lowest I found on Metacritic. Jay Scott, a 50, the lowest one there, from the Globe and Mail, Toronto, uh, is Surrey. But the plot is squeezed dry in this bloody valentine from Hollywood and becomes annoyingly predictable. Thriller stumbles on its own success. Now, this was similar to a review that I read from Brad, I think, on this one, where and, and somebody else, where... He said, uh, and I think somebody else said this, maybe Nathan or somebody was like, it, it got predictable or something like that. I would agree. Um, so, the hoi polloi. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the first one. We've sure. got a, a high 10 from Jameson 12. Jameson! This is the greatest thriller ever created. The Silence of the Lambs isn't scary as it is thrilling. You'll be on the edge of your seat and you'll be awestruck by Jodie Foster's and Anthony Hopkins' captivating performances. Well, a rating of 2 from 10K. There was not a lot. There was 13 negative out of the uh, 631 reviews. You had to find one. There was 13 negative. 10K says... Anthony Hopkins gives the most overrated performance of all time. He way overplayed it. Aside from that, the movie is really quite dull and unexceptional. I'm mystified by the positive reviews and never understood this movie's appeal. Yeah. Now, uh, I found one more review here that we should read. I don't and, see uh, it. Is it. Is it on this page? No, it's right here. You know who Hold it's on. from? <gasps> Spangle! <laughs> So we get a 10 from Spangle. 10! Spangle! 10! Only because he could only rate it up to a 10. Are we are we good right there? All right. Uh, how could anybody... So how anybody could not like this movie is beyond me. Jo- Director Jonathan Demme did a fantastic job, and all of the actors were marvelous, especially Hopkins and Foster. The film is an 11 out of 10. Oh. A 10 out of 10 doesn't do it justice. 11. Oh, Spangle. Oh, Spangle. Oh, Spangle. Oh, Spangle. Spangle. Salute. Oh, by the way, uh, I have with me right here... Ooh! I picked What's up from a, the store. a red wine in a fancy bottle with, it, like, wood... Here, hold up. Oh, pour me a oh yeah, and Ugh. here I've got a little bit. I'll, I'll 
for myself on this. And you know what? This here, and let me grab yours oh, right yeah. there. Thank All right. You. All right. There we you go. You would be good with this. Some so, fava beans. Yeah. What I have here is a nice Chianti. <laughs> because. Is there some liver? Uh, a census taker tried to test me once. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> yeah. So. Mm. Uh, Shiver. So I, I have a Chianti for us today. Mm, uh, delicious. And, and, and let me tell you about the Chianti. Hold on. Is it? Mm. It's very red. It tastes. Uh, it tastes a little dry. Huh? You, you taste. Uh, hold on. Does it taste like wine to you? I don't like the dry wines, no. but you know something? With some fava beans and a human liver, this would probably be amazing. It would. And by the way, uh, I read a, a little review on this that said that there's an internal joke in this scene, which is very famous from the movie, is that the three foods that are mentioned, so you've got liver, liver fava, fava beans... beans Chianti, Chianti, a wine, a wine. That there's three foods that a person who is on monoamase oxidase that there's. Uh, let me find so I can say this correctly. There's monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Okay, is the medication that you would give to somebody who is deeply psychotic. It's an antidepressant of sort. To people who are dealing with social phobias, and they should, and it's eat. a last resort medication, and they shouldn't. And eat. there are three foods that you cannot eat while you're on these drugs to keep you sane and not psychotic. And those drug and those foods wait, are wait for it. liver, liver, beans, beans, and wine. Red wine. <laughs> so he was saying. I was not on my medications. <laughs> or I was bypassing them. Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciated that. That's All right. good. So that's a, just a little fun fact. Uh, uh, the receipts of this Silence of the Lambs 1991 had a budget of $19 million. It made $130.7 million, a lot more overseas. So it made $110 million. Tickets were a little more expensive in 91. Average ticket price in 1991, $4.21. So this had a BSI of $31 million, More than any of the movies we've mentioned tonight. People saw this movie. Compared to The Breakfast Club, which had a BSI of $12.9 well, million. How about, how about something that's more of a thriller? More of like a, a futuristic like, yeah. uh, like chase scenes. So, and- uh, specifically... 1991, so the, the the Silence of the Lambs right. was the number five domestic right. grocer okay. of the year. The number one, speaking of chase scenes and all that, is Terminator 2. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, Terminator dun, dun, 2, dun, dun, dun. Judgment Day. Oh, the uh, best of the Terminator movies. With a budget... I dare you to change my mind. With a budget of $100 million. Ooh, uh, I did spend some cash. Domestic gross of $104 million. Two, 204. Or 204. Actually, uh, I think uh, if uh, that The Silence of the Lambs made more money than oh. Terminator 2. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, not because of what... No, no. The foreign gross of yeah. $300 million. Yeah, the, the foreign gross was, was a lot more. Uh, average ticket price again four four hundred four dollars and twenty one cents. So this had a BSI of forty eight point seven. Lots of people saw forty eight point seven. But that does not take away from the success 
of the Silence of the Lambs. How about yeah. like uh, how about like Brad Pitt? Yeah, the, in like seven. seven. Yeah, nineteen ninety five. Yeah, thirty three million dollars. Similar domestic movie. gross, a hundred million. Uh, average ticket price in ninety five of four dollars and thirty five cents. So this had twenty three million. Right. Twenty three million BSI, and uh, the Silence of the Lambs had thirty one billion. Yeah. Right, uh, right. Not billion, million, million. million yeah. it, it wasn't Endgame. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, Endgame. Yeah, so uh, the Silence of the Lambs did better. Yeah, domestically. BSI domestically. De- definitely, definitely. All right, so uh, let's chat about the movie. Uh, what makes this film a unique? I'll turn that question on you. Okay. What makes this film unique? So the Silence of the Lambs uh, that we get to look at a. A, uh, a deep psychological thriller. And uh, as far as a unique uh, genre film that... Uh, so, from the other films that have been looked at in Pantheon, like, you would expect films like... Uh, like, you would mention Lawrence of Arabia or The Godfather, like those sure. types. Big, big films, right? Right. Uh, e- even... Sound of Music. The Sound of Music, mm-hmm. like, those... So this film uh, is a horror film. It is, and um, that is a challenging concept to just like the concept of taking a comic book movie and bringing it in as the best picture as an Oscar sure. or something. Sure, that a a horror movie, a psychological thriller that right. that really that really is dealing with a cannibal. Right? Are you kidding me? Right? Like. And to have that as uh, as being something that is pantheon worthy, well, that that's an that's an interesting choice. And, and we're not talking about uh, uh, soccer players from Chile, like in uh, Alive, Alive, right? Yeah, we're not talking about that kind of cannibal. Like they die or they do the thing. We're about somebody who chooses to murder people to eat them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. So, like, and and the uniqueness of this film is the uh, is how well does it do in telling its psychological thriller portion of the tale right mm-hmm, yeah. that's that that's going to be where it fall where it rises or falls it also wasn't a slasher movie like it, it there wasn't like specific no. scenes of like tension and fear even if you eat like and this is one of these things where like down. misremembered scenes mm-hmm. like there's a lot of misremembered scenes uh he doesn't say hello Cl- clarice no he says good evening clarice yeah uh or people talk about remember that scene where he bit the guy's nose off they don't ever show it. It's like Hitchcockian, right, right. where they show the camera from behind, but they never show him actually biting. Or when people say it puts the lotion on their skin. Yeah, it it puts the lotion in the basket. In the basket, or else it gets the hose again. Oh, it gets it gets the hose again. So, uh, it, that's even been misquoted in other shows. Family Guy, for yeah. one. Uh, it's misremembered, but you still, even when it's misquoted and misremembered, you know exactly what the reference is. You get it. Yeah. Uh, Even in other movies, um, in uh, uh, Con Air, uh, Steve Buscemi's character, Steve Buscemi's character, I think, has a mask. He's strapped down to a, to a, like a dolly. He's got a white mask over his face. It's a head nod back to the, to the Silence of the Lambs. But that's not quite exactly how that happened in the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so um, we chat a little bit about the uniqueness, uh, like yeah. like this 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 offer. This is a unique thing. Like uh, I, I know Fright Night has gotten sure. into the pantheon. So like 
yeah. Horror itself is a is not out. And that's more of a vampire killer movie yeah. as opposed to But a, this is a psychological thriller. Right. So the question I would have then is what makes a great psychological thriller? Well, and I think we've touched on some of the points I wanted to make. One of them is, is you know, connecting that to its essential viewing. People who have seen uh, The Silence of the Lambs get the references in, in the slew of other movies and shows that make references yeah. back to The Silence of the Lambs. And they mean they have more meaning because because you know what the reference is is pointing to. You know what they're referring to when they do that. And in, in in this movie, it also presents the serial killer you like, like and and that shows up on AFI's list of like best heroes and villains. I was and, just gonna say and Hannibal Lecter you start is to number to one. To know Hannibal Lecter, he's and number not, one. Not just as of that freaky guy. Like, for example, in Mindhunter, is a TV is a series that you and I have both watched. Yeah. And they do nothing but profile serial killers, real life ones from history. I don't like any of those people. Hannibal Lecter, I'm not saying I'd call him my buddy, but I don't hate him and I'm not afraid of him. Yeah. It's the weird thing. Like he's running around. And you're if, not afraid if of him. he was here, he would definitely kill both of us. It's like Keontae, you only needs one liver. Yeah. Like, and I've got some extra fava beans. So, any other things that you would think about? Like, what are the characteristics of a great psychological thriller for you? It should have twists that I don't see coming. And there were some of those in, in The Silence of the Lambs. And it should have... Um, it, it should not be completely full of characters. You know... Some people like the usual suspects, for example. Yeah. And I, for one reason, for one reason or another, I, the usual suspects to me just feels crowded with with characters and people. And there's times when I'm like, wait, is that the? Are they talking about the guy? Which guy are they talking about? Okay. Here? I don't mean the 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 this, the the one they're looking for. I mean that they'll talk about someone that's in another scene or something that happened, and I have to think about who that was because there's so many. There's just it's tight. This is written well. It's written tightly. And you can follow the characters and who they're talking about and what's happening, even though they are jumping from, yep. from the scenes of of the the cannibal to, or of the 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 Skinner this shoot what's the guy's name the, the Buffalo Bill Buffalo Bill and then back to prison and and Hannibal Lecter. The movie is not just about Hannibal Lecter. I think people try to I think people misremember this movie as being just about Hannibal Lecter. He's in there for 24 minutes. There's two movies and that are 59 seconds. There are two whole movies that are only about Hannibal Lecter and that's Red Dragon and Hannibal. Yeah. This movie is only this movie is actually about uh, F, the FBI agent really. So there was a, so I was doing a little uh, article research on this like academic article stuff mm-hmm. like that talked about the silence of the lambs. They use that phrase the silence of the lambs uh, elsewhere to talk about um, sexual assault in the military against female soldiers. Wow. Uh, and the phrase the silence of the lambs is used in terms of uh, the hushing of, hushing su- of. of su- sexual assault victims. Wow! Like so, it, it, that was just kind of like an interesting thing that I found. Um, but there was one article that was talking about the music in here, and then there was another article that was talking about um, uh, objectification in the film. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to start with the objectification. We'll come back to that that music one a little bit later when we talk about score. But the the quote that I came is, uh, and I thought this was interesting, and it's a, a, a way to connect with the movie is that uh, by by accent by by accenting Starling's harassment, and this is by Greg Garrett, 1994, mm-hmm. Journal of Popular Culture, talking about objecting to objectification. It says, by removing male helpers present in the novel and by stressing Starling's resistance to the attempts of men to objectify her, the film creates, in Foster's words, an incredibly strong feminist hero, as well as an even stronger statement about the various forms of female victimization in our society. So not just were the victims of the serial killer females, but also Jodie Foster was victimized by the society that she was in and had to fight against it. And at one point she said to her boss is that uh, it matters. Mm-hmm. These, co- these cops look to you to how to treat me. And it matters how you treat me. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong. Sorry. You know, like, mm-hmm. so I, I just thought that was just kind of like an interesting view into the movie itself. Uh, and there were things in the way, in the way that the movie was filmed where you really got a sense of it. She shows up in the elevator where she's just this tiny little, she's dressed in like blue and everybody else is in red and six foot right. three and she's five foot one. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so breakdown of the movie, acting. How'd you feel about the acting in this movie? I have no complaints about the acting in this movie. I, I can't think of a character. I'm sure there is one. If I go back and watch it one more time, I can't think of a character where I felt like I I didn't enjoy their performance. Some of the council members complained about things. I see. I'm using the word complained yeah. loosely. Complained about that. They said, "Okay, Anthony Hopkins, great." They were they were mildly mixed on Jodie Foster. Many people liked her. Some did. I liked her. I liked um, her character. I liked what she did. She reminded me of women in my family. Mixed. I liked uh, her. Mixed on Buffalo Bill a little bit. He was a caricature. But then the side characters that they felt were just kind of throwaway. Uh, many of them. So that that was that was one of the complaints about acting. I didn't think so. Mm-hmm. Like and I'm, I, I'll be honest. Like I don't always get that critique. Is that the side characters weren't spectacular? They're side characters. They're side characters. Sometimes in life, <clears throat> a side character just needs to come in and say, "Here's your coffee, sir," because like we need that cup of coffee for the next part of the scene. Right, right. We don't have to have like Joe Coffee come in like, "Hello, good sir. I, my." servant of the coffee nature has come with your coffee today. Like, we don't need to Shatner-esque every character that comes in. There's something in the cup. <laughs> something <laughs> hot and steamy. <laughs> so, I, I liked the acting. Anthony, Anthony no Hopkins, about the acting. a master class. Yeah, and I, actually... And I liked Jodie Foster. I, I liked, liked Jodie Buffalo Foster's Bill. character. I liked the gale that was in... The pit? The pit. <laughs> like, she had the most honest responses. It was like, come back, you blanking pit. Yeah. Like, I was like, nope, that's what I would say if I was in a pit, right? Um, I liked the acting. Uh, I'm spot on. Directing. What do you think about editing, choices, so, directing? I, I got to tell you that on, on all of these aspects, I'm, I have no complaints. I really don't. I have, I don't have any bad memories of this movie. I don't have a negative review on this movie. I actually feel like this movie should have been an easy shoe in 
for I don't jump ahead on you, but I felt like this this movie should have been an easy yeah. shoe in for Pantheon. Well, I, 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 would, I know I would, that it's yeah. just my one vote. I get it, yeah. but uh, I actually don't have anything negative to say. I, I think it was done well, and I think it deserved the Oscar. So, well, and, and you mentioned Oscar. It didn't get an Oscar. Oscars plural. It got five. five. Now, picture, actor, actress, director, and screenplay. Holy cribbity crap! Batman. Which are known as the big five. The big five. Now, Cabaret. Got like seven or nine, but or not whatever. those five. But it didn't get one. These. One of them, uh, uh, so no supporting actor. And it definitely did not get best picture. No, not supporting actor. That was one of them. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't get best picture, and this movie totally did. Um, the I liked the cinematography. I loved like other like other reviews that I was reading from the council weren't so weren't so uh, that they, they were making some comments about cinematography that thought it was bland i didn't agree with that like i i thought that i thought the basement shot the basement was spooky as hell i thought the cinematography was put together to to portray and to to invoke exactly the emotions they wanted you to feel the the whole scene where the 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 cop had that hannibal lecter had taken the cop's face and they're going Mm. back and forth and then he finally pulls off the face like that was a great reveal I thought that was like played very well. The I, I loved how even though Jodie Foster shouldn't have been alone walking into the house that she was walking sure. into the end and you have the cops going to the house the wrong house and she's in the right house playing back and forth. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was done very well. I thought it was done well. Um the the score even though it's very simple and it's mostly just a theme that shows up over and over again, like Jaws, like Jaws, that I thought it was done, like it was done well. And then the music that they use, and this is um, that they use some classical music, where uh, in the film where Hannibal Lecter is playing some classical music. Yeah, because it made sense. There was an article by Thomas Fahey where he was talking about. Killer culture, classical music, and the art of killing. Mm. Okay. uh, In Silence of the Lambs and Seven, where he says both Silence of the Lambs and Seven redefine beauty in terms of violence to suggest that modern society is doing the same in the depraved, cruel, and indifferent settings of the stories, civility, high culture, and manners are merely clever disguises for ruthless brutality. Hannibal Lecter and John Doe in Seven specifically fuse violence with an appreciation for music, literature, and art to suggest that high culture has not only failed to humanize and civilize us, as Matthew Arnold had hoped, who I don't know is, uh, but in fact has debased modern society. Knowledge does not become a means for self-improvement, only a way to appreciate the violence, depravity, and selfishness in the world. I, I, I just, like... I just put that out there because I thought it was kind of interesting to say that these characters are super high society, but they're using their elegance and education to appreciate their violence even more. Uh, so I just thought that was neat. Screenplay, loved it. Special effects, I thought it was solid. Like you, right. without jumping ahead, we are jumping ahead. We are jumping ahead. I, but... I liked everything. Yeah. I watched the movie and I was captivated all 118 all, all minutes again. or whatever yeah, it yeah. was. Um, I remember the first time I watched this movie, I watched it uh, with my wife. Uh, we were She wasn't my wife then, but I watched it with her. Uh, she came out of it feeling creeped out. Uh, she came out of... But she also came out of uh, Red Dawn feeling creeped out. Uh, because the movie did exactly what it was supposed to do. Take you to this place 
where stuff was going to happen to make you feel unsafe yeah. and, and, and not secure in, in your, your life. Uh, and the movie did exactly that. Yeah. And I, and I would say everything that we're saying is in detail in Matthew Wade's nomination. Straight up. Uh, and, and more. He goes into great detail. And I agree with everything that he says here. And I believe his nomination is, is uh, now also still available on Adventures in Videoland. You can see it there. Uh, where yeah. he nominated it uh, for Pantheon. The one thing that we didn't mention that he mentions in his review is about Howard Shore's score and then the use of sound where they have like a butterfly fluttering mm. yeah. or the gun cocking and right. that sort of stuff. One sound that I noticed that was incredible that I hadn't caught before but I caught this time is when they pull the pupa out of the dead girl's throat. Okay. If you listen carefully, you hear the air rush into her lungs. Oh, that's creepy. No, because they pull that. it out and you hear. I remember the sound like, of this, they, this, that sound of him pulling it. Is, yeah, is like a rattly kind of a raspy. Yeah, they they pull it out and then you hear. That's so like that's creepy as hell. Yeah, that's creepy. So uh, like so, uh, for me. If you ask me, did the council make a mistake? Well, well, let me ask you: Did the council, uh, Doctor Diamond Doug? Yeah, Mister Miggity Miggity Man. Did the council make a mistake on this movie? The council never makes a mistake, Mister Miggity Mac. Do I agree with their decision? No, I don't. I think the council made a mistake. Uh, you're you're bolder than I am. I am, but but you know, most of the council. Uh... I, I actually agree. I think the council made a mistake. <laughs> I think that the council was was. Uh, oh, I was almost almost going to use our PG thirteen right there. Uh oh. I was going to say I think the council was a little shitty on this film and didn't oh. need to be. Yeah. You know. That's our PG thirteen. I don't, right I don't know. That's our one and only. I don't recall uh, what the votes were. Hold on. I think we might have what the actual votes were on this thing. Oh, it it it, it was a close one again. Uh, oh, it, I meant who voted which way. Oh, and th that's written down. Uh, that's written down in the Facebook. I don't think I wrote oh, it down. Oh, okay. Here. All right. We didn't bring it with us. I've got all, all my stack of stuff here. Yeah. So we can, we, yeah, you can go back and find uh, who wrote what All right. on that. Yeah, and that's on that's on Adventures in Video Land Facebook page. Okay, well, any final comments on these two movies? Like we we're no, we're I at about we, an hour and a half. I think we I think we pulled them apart pretty well. Uh, we both think that uh, that Silence of the Lambs should probably be in Pantheon. It still has an opportunity to be there. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, that's one thing, is that both of these movies could theoretically come back. They, they have... They one have more time. One more time. Uh, possibly even two. Maybe. They could be renominated at some point, or they may end up in a versus or a marathon and get yeah. kicked up for Pantheon one more time. So, they have at least one more chance. At least uh, one. Uh, and, but if they get voted down again, that they're That's out done. forever. Um, yeah, so the council members change over the years. Yeah. And different council members are going to vote different ways and, and like different things. And so, you know, that's a possibility. But I, uh, yeah, so for me tonight, Breakfast Club, I watched and I went, yeah, no, I get it. That's mm -hmm. not Pantheon. Silence of the Lambs, uh, why the frown? WTF, right? <laughs> Why the frown? Why the frown? Uh, I, I, I thought that totally should be Pantheon. For you, uh, you're a half-seas on the... 
half C's on Breakfast Club. Yeah, I, I would go. It should be because you have I, such a connection to yeah, it. Yeah, I do. I can't help that. But you know, it's just like Brad's anti-connection. You know, even yeah. if even if he reviewed it and came down with, all right, fine. On all of the categories, on most of them, it should be Pantheon, but these these two, it's not. He would still say no. Yeah, I would still say yes. So yeah, but um, but Silence of the Lambs, I think, was a definite uh, a definite swing and a miss. Uh, uh, we had a couple little bits of uh, movie trivia about these. Um, uh, the the. Uh uh, fun facts about the the Breakfast Club. Yeah, I was liking some of these. Oh, uh, you had asked me about connections between between the, two, the, the movies. two movies, and one of them is that you know who tried out for Claire in Breakfast Club, played who? by Molly Ringwald. Who? Jodie Foster. What? Who ended up playing? Uh, Dude, so, so are you gonna say Molly Ringwald tried out for no, Jodie no, Foster's no, part? No, in, no. in uh, that would be weird. Yeah, um, that there was. Did, a, did you know that the dandruff from Ali Sheedy's hair? Don't tell me it was a Parmesan cheese. Parmesan cheese. Oh, and some possible characters who may have done a better job than Judd Nelson. Yeah, some possible actors. Who who might they be? Uh, so there was other people who had tried out for this film. John Cusack. John Cusack, Nicholas Cage, and even Jim, Jim Carrey. He would have been pretty young at the time. He would have been. But yeah, but there you and, are. And uh, uh, another fun fact is that twenty-two years old. That was Judd Nelson yeah. and. Uh, uh, so Judd Nelson was 26 Emilio Estevez and Ailey were both 22 but Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall both actually high schoolers yeah. at 16 the same year St. Elmo's Fire came out and several of these same actors played <laughs> college graduates yeah hold on uh, that would be Judd Nelson Emilio Estevez and uh, Ali, Ali Sheedy yeah, yeah. And, and you saw Ali Sheedy's boobs in that movie okay anyway yeah that's um, it. just so you want to mark it down that's, that is 36 minutes and 21 seconds and uh, for Silence of the Lambs, uh, just a couple of fun facts. There's some cameos. Roger Corman, the the great B movie schlock uh, uh, sexploitation film mm-hmm. uh, guy, makes a, makes an appearance. So does George Romero, uh, and so does Chris, the singer Chris Isaac. All righty, shows up in this film. That is weird. Uh, that George Romero. That um, the skull on the movie poster is taken from uh, Involuptus Moors from Salvador Dali, hmm. which is made up of seven naked women, parts and pieces ah. of them that are crafted into a skull that are used in the skull on the butterfly on the poster. Okay. So that's just a, a fun little connection right there. Uh, Gene Hackman was going to star in this film. Michelle Pfeiffer at some point was going to be in. Sean Connery was a first choice to play Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> that would have been so different. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Hello, Coronaries. <laughs> uh, Buffalo Bill's character was based on like an amalgamation of Ted Bundy, Gary uh, M. Heidnick, and Ed Gein. Yeah, yeah. 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 Creepy. There's lots of other things that we could say about these, but uh, we will be respectful of the time of our listeners here, and we will come to a conclusion, unless you have anything, any last thoughts, I Mr. Miggity I do not. I would love to go get some sleeps. All right. So, as always, I hope everyone enjoyed our conversation tonight. Uh, where can Video Land find you, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac? On the Facebook, or if you're a college student, you might see me in class. 
I have the same answers as you. You can find me on Facebook or in class. Uh, so you can find us on Instagram, adventuresinvideoland.com, uh, but the conversation always begins and ends on Facebook. You've been listening to Criticism in its finest hour. Until next time, Videolanders, I'm having an old friend for dinner. Or, or, or maybe, wait, hold on, no, or, or maybe wait. you mess with the bulls, you wait, get the horns. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You know, you see us as you want to see us. How about that? Yeah. How, how about how about this? We, we love, love you. you.